0: Welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thank you for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources or to read her blog, visit her website at intheword.com. And now, Michelle. In our last lesson, we saw the first attempt of the religious authorities to prevent the apostles from speaking about Christ and the resurrection. After healing a lame man just outside the temple, Peter and John were arrested and kept in jail overnight. Though the authorities commanded them to stop their preaching, the apostles refused to do so, proclaiming that they could not help but witness to others about Jesus Christ. The authorities ultimately let them go because they feared the crowd that was loudly praising God for the miracle. So now we pick it up in Acts chapter 4, verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So, upon their release, Peter and John immediately found the other believers to tell them what had happened, and their first thought was to go before the Lord in prayer. Now, notice they did not ask the Lord for protection, or even for an easier life. The first words they offered to God were an acknowledgment of His sovereignty and power over all things, even what they just experienced." They quoted the Old Testament prophecy that peoples and rulers of the earth would resist God, that they would gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one, Jesus Christ. They confessed that the rulers in their own city had done exactly that. They had conspired against Jesus and delivered him to death as God's own will had ordained. They understood exactly what was going on and fully accepted that as Christ's servants they would face similar mistreatment. And so they prayed for the Lord to give them great boldness in speaking His word. They asked God to continue to confirm the truth of their message by healing and performing miraculous signs and wonders through the name of Jesus Christ. And we're told that immediately, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. How quickly God answered their request and how challenging their response is to us today. If we were threatened with punishment or imprisonment for our faith, what would we be praying for? Would we be praying for boldness, miraculous power and the ability to continue to proclaim the name of Jesus? Or would we be praying for safety and deliverance? These really are important questions we need to ask ourselves today. How determined are we to remain faithful to the Lord irrespective of the circumstances? In Acts four thirty-two, Luke again describes the life of these early believers as he did in chapter 2. He says, all the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no Needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet so they continued to testify about what they'd witnessed and they continued to be of one heart and mind sharing what they had with those in need now notice it was not a requirement for them to sell their possessions rather From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them in order to help those in need. Although the money was laid at the apostles' feet, it was not given as a gift to them personally, but rather for them to distribute to the work of the Lord. Luke cites a man named Joseph from Cyprus as an example of this there in verse 36. Apparently, not all priests had refused the gospel because Joseph, he says, was a Levite, in other words, a priest who had become a Christ follower. In fact, he had been so supportive of the believers that the apostles nicknamed him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And we're going to hear more about Barnabas in the coming chapters of Acts as he partners with the apostle Paul in his missionary journeys. As you can imagine, Satan wanted to put a stop to all of this. He first attacked the church from without through the intimidation of the religious leaders, and then he attacked from within through the hypocritical and deceptive behavior of two believers who standed in stark contrast to Barnabas and whose actions not only threatened the unity of the church but could surely have damaged its reputation luke introduces them in chapter five he says now a man named ananias together with his wife sapphira sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge he kept back part of the money for himself but brought the rest and put it at the apostles feet Luke reveals that Ananias and Sapphira also sold a piece of property, linking their action back to that of Barnabas. But this husband and wife conspired together to keep back part of the proceeds. They presented the rest to the apostles, pretending that they were giving all as others had done. We're not told why they sold the land or if it represented all they had. Certainly, they were not forced to sell any part of their possessions. However, because of the events that follow, one wonders if their motivation was to compete with Barnabas's generosity and the approval that he received. Let's go on in verse 3. So guided by the Holy Spirit, Peter confronts Ananias. He knew that Ananias had allowed Satan to fill his heart rather than the Holy Spirit. And he was lying about the price of the land to make this gesture that the land and the money from the sale had belonged to Ananias to be used in whatever way he chose for no one had forced him the issue was not that he had held back part of the sale price the issue was that Ananias had chosen to lie about it and in lying to men to the church he had actually lied to the holy spirit to god himself These few words are really significant because they prove the personhood of the Holy Spirit. You know, some people mistakenly think of the Holy Spirit as being the power of God expressed as wind or a fire, but you can't lie to the wind. You can't lie to a fire. You can't lie to a force or a power. You can only lie to a person you see the holy spirit is not merely the power of god as part of the trinity he is god himself verse five continues when ananias heard this he fell down and died and great fear seized all who heard what had happened Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. You know, it's important to realize that Peter did not do anything to Ananias. The judgment of God fell upon him and he dropped dead on the spot. And Luke reports that as a result of what occurred, great fear seized all who'd heard what had happened. Verse 7. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also at that moment she fell down at his feet and died then the young men came in finding her dead carried her out and buried her beside her husband great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events when sapphira arrived knowing nothing of her husband's fate she was given the opportunity to tell the truth concerning the price of the land but of her own free will She chose to lie, and she suffered the same fate as her husband. In verse 11... Luke repeats what he said in verse 5 that great fear not only came on all the church, but indeed upon all who heard these things. No doubt others had been tempted, like Ananias and his wife, to pretend to have a holiness that they did not have. However, this divine act was used by God to teach the new church of the terrible consequences of sin. It had the effect of warning non-Christians about the dangers of seeking to associate themselves with this new and popular movement for selfish motives alone. Through it, he not only revealed his holiness, but God also revealed that he knows our hearts and hypocrisy will not be tolerated. Our motives are just as important to God as our actions. Well, what happened after all that drama? Verse 12 tells us, The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. The Holy Spirit very evidently continued to work through the apostles and they continued to meet in the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade, an area where they could preach and teach openly. And I think it is significant that they weren't afraid to go back to the very spot where Peter and John had been arrested before. The believers had in no way been put off by the threats of the authorities. I also find Luke's phrase in verse 13 interesting. He says there that no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. And I believe he does this to emphasize that after the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira, no one else with wrong motives dared to join them, even though the group was highly regarded by the people. Becoming a Christ follower, you see, was an increasingly serious matter. That being said, many sincere people, both men and women, were still coming to faith in Jesus. People brought out their sick to lay on beds and mats in the street that the touch of Peter's shadow might fall on them. They brought people tormented by evil spirits, and Luke records that all were healed. Now, some of us may marvel at that, but I think we need to remember that God did this in the early days of the church to especially confirm the truth of the apostles' message. Does that mean that God has ceased to operate in the realm of the miraculous today? Certainly not. The Bible encourages us that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And even today, his miraculous work can still be seen. Not all are healed in the way that we would want them to be, but God does still work miracles. For example, I prayed for someone who had lost their sight. According to the doctors, there was no possibility of their ever seeing again. And yet, three days after I prayed for them, their sight miraculously returned. You would think that the doctors would have at least agreed that God had done the unexpected. But I'm very sad to say that they didn't. They put it down to the fact that the human body is incredible and that there's so much we still don't know scientifically. You know, in a similar way, instead of being convinced that God was working through the apostles, the religious leaders also refused to believe and made a second attempt to silence them in verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the sanhedrin the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. Far from being convinced of the truth of the apostles' teaching, the high priest and the other members of the religious leaders were filled with jealousy. They were jealous of the church's growing popularity. They resented the fact that God's power was at work through the followers of Jesus rather than through them. And so they had the apostles arrested for a second time. However, during the night, the Lord freed them and commanded them to return to the very place that they had been arrested to continue to preach, which is exactly what they did. When daybreak arrived, they went back to Solomon's colonnade and continued sharing the gospel of the new life that's available to all who trust in Jesus Christ. Meanwhile, totally unaware of what had happened overnight, the high priest and his associates arrived at the temple and sent their officers to the jail to bring the apostles. Can you imagine the scene? But on arriving at the jail... The officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what could come of this. (laughs) You know, miracles often bewilder those who aren't looking for them. Look at verse 25. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts, teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Verse 26 notes that the temple guards tried to keep things calm and used no force against the apostles. Luke says that they were really afraid that the crowd might turn on them if they harmed the apostles in any way. And to their credit, the apostles didn't resist but accompanied the guards to the council chambers. Verse 27, having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Notice how the high priest refused to even mention the name of Jesus, referring to him as only this name and this man. The same man many of these same council members had sent to his death only months before. Though they were guilty for what had been done to Jesus, they were not willing to accept any blame. They didn't believe that they had any need of repentance. In fact, their only real concern was to protect themselves and their positions of authority. Then the high priest accused the apostles of disobeying the council's strict orders not to speak of Christ, complaining that they had filled Jerusalem with their teaching. You know, he was probably unaware of the compliment that his accusation contained. Peter and the other apostles respectfully and confidently confirmed what they had said to the council before, that their obedience was to God and not to men, even men in authority. But Peter didn't stop there. He spoke boldly to them about the man whose name they wouldn't even use, the man they had killed by crucifying him on a tree the man that God had raised from the dead and exalted at his right hand in heaven, the Prince and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who had come to give repentance and faith to Israel. Peter emphasized that the apostles knew from first hand experience the truth of what they preached— He pointed out that the Holy Spirit was also witnessing to that truth and that he was a gift to all who obeyed, implying that the religious leaders would know these things too if they were truly interested in obeying God. You know, Peter was a very brave man. Verse 33, when they heard this, the religious leaders were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. This was not something the ruling council wanted to hear. Their jealousy exploded into murderous thoughts, but they were in a very difficult position. The crowds were beginning to rally behind the disciples, and no one wanted to provoke a riot lest the Romans end up getting involved. A Pharisee by the name of Gamaliel decided to intervene at that point as the voice of reason. We know from history that Gamaliel was a well-respected teacher of the law who was considered a teacher of teachers, in fact, a man known for his wisdom and his love for the law of Moses. In fact, he was the rabbi under whom the Apostle Paul had originally studied which is mentioned in Acts chapter 22, verse 3. Ordering the apostles to be taken out for a moment, Gamaliel addressed the council, saying, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theudas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing after him judas the galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt he too was killed and all his followers were scattered therefore in the present case i advise you leave these men alone Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Urging caution, Gamaliel gave two examples of others who had claimed to be the Messiah in the past, both of whom had come to nothing, and his advice was to leave the apostles alone For if their purpose or activity was of human origin, it would fail. However, if the disciples' cause was from God, no one would be able to stop them, and any opponents would actually be fighting against God himself. Verse 40 tells us what happened next. His speech persuaded them, They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Though the Sanhedrin agreed to let the apostles go, they couldn't resist one parting humiliation. They had them publicly whipped and warned them again not to speak in the name of Jesus Christ. Did that stop Peter and the others? No quite the contrary. Look at verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. They actually rejoiced in the fact that they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the sake of Christ. Their persecution and suffering enabled them to demonstrate their loyalty to Jesus above all others and it proved as well the truth of their message for no one would willingly suffer for a lie. Far from being intimidated, the apostles were encouraged and they boldly continued to proclaim the good news that Jesus is indeed the Messiah sent by God the Father to be the Savior of mankind. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, they chose to obey God irrespective of the cost, seeing it as an honor to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ if need be. My question is, are we willing to live as they did? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the bravery of the apostles as they firmly stood for Christ irrespective of the cost. Thank you that they saw it as a privilege to suffer for his name. Lord, we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would equip us to boldly share the truth of Jesus to all who will listen, whether they receive the good news or not. Let it all be to the praise of Christ's name and the extension of his kingdom. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources, visit her website at In the Word.